Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Hypermesia. Hypermnesia? Yeah, that's the nothing personal word of the day today. It's an unusual power or enhancement of memory, but it normally happens under sort of abnormal conditions. Like if something happens to you and all of a sudden you remember every tiny little thing about it, hypermnesia. The good news for agents in Major League Baseball is owners have a permanent state of hypermnesia. I did. I still sort of have mine. And the reason I do is that I remember everything I've ever done in the sport. But that's why I'm not in the sport anymore. Every other owner has the opposite of hypermnesia because they sign players. The deals are bad. They say, hey, let's do it again. The next deal we sign will be the best deal. The last deal that didn't work, no problem. Hypermnesia, that's not my problem at all. Amazing that Anthony Rendon signed last night. Can we please put into perspective what's happening? We spent the better part of this last season talking about the free agent market and the delay in getting the best players signed, that we had to talk about so many off-the-field issues all through spring training of last season. And then finally, Machado and Harper signed. This year, we were ready for that to happen again. We wrote articles and we read articles saying the winter meetings were going to be a snooze fest. Nothing was going to end up happening that Scott Boris would hold the whole industry hostage because he controlled the top of the market. But something happened to change the narrative. What happened is that these players were getting offers from teams and they were taking them, not willing to wait around, realizing that they were already getting offers at the tippy, tip, top, top of the market. And it was perfectly orchestrated by Mr. Boris. So the first domino fell, and it was clearly Steven Strasburg. Now, don't forget that he signed for the exact number, $245 million over seven years, that was rumored to have been offered to Garrett Cole. That's not a coincidence. The Yankees were rumored to have offered Cole $245. Cole turns it down. A day later, Steven Strasburg signs for the same $245. And then Garrett Cole signs for the 324. And then there's a position player who's left. The best position player, gold glove defense, middle of the order bat, perfect off the field, perfect in the clubhouse, perfect on the field. Who wouldn't want Anthony Rendon on your team? Well, there were plenty of teams after him, so I thought there's no way that this will get done quickly. And then I forgot the big important numbers. 245 over seven. Yes, that same 245 from Strasburg is exactly the deal that was offered to Anthony Rendon by the Los Angeles Angels. Why would the Angels have offered him so many years and so much money? Because they had to have a victory immediately after losing Cole. It was perfect. Think about it. It's brilliant. 
You've got Boris, and here's how it works in the winter meetings. He has his own suite with his people, and then the other teams have suites. So picture the Angels in one suite, then picture the Dodgers, then picture the Yankees, and then you've got Boris's suite. Now, no one's visiting anybody else. It's all done by phone. And really, Boris will only talk to owners, sometimes team presidents, but mostly just to owners because owners give in and cave way more than baseball people. Because baseball people will tell you that going nine years for a pitcher is too many. Generally, going seven years for a position player at $35 million a year, no matter how good, is going to be too many. But he doesn't want to waste his time with that. He's going right to the ownership. So first, Cole goes to the Yankees, and the Angels have already said publicly, publicly, that's the problem with Joe Madden going public. We talked about it on Nothing Personal. Joe Madden met the media and said, we need someone like Cole. We need something like Cole. And I wondered, why put that pressure on your front office? You are playing into the hands of the players. Garrett Cole gets offered an extra year by the Yankees. He doesn't care that it's East Coast, West Coast, Mid Coast, High Coast, Low Coast, Mars, Venus, Pluto, or Earth. You give me a ninth year, I'll put on the uni. He goes east. Then they move on to Rendon, and the Angels say, listen, we're, we're going to need Anthony Rendon on this team. And that call comes from the owner, Artie Moreno, to the GM, Billy Epler. And the call goes like this. I don't care what it costs. I don't care how many years. We will not lose Anthony Rendon to the Los Angeles Dodgers. We will not lose Rendon to the Texas Rangers. We will not lose Rendon to anybody. You call Boris right now and you say to him, how do I know this, by the way, you're wondering? I've done it. I've both been told to make the call and I've told other people to make the call. And this is exactly how it works. This is the art of caving in a negotiation. It is the loss of all leverage and the end of any fiscal sanity. It happens when you pick up the phone and tell your GM, stop. I don't want to hear your rationality. Don't talk to me about war. Don't tell me that other long-term deals haven't worked. I want Rendon and I want it tonight. That makes zero sense to me. Taking a step back. Now that I'm no longer the president of a team, I was crazed. It's like I had been possessed in the middle of Ghostbusters that I would say to the GM, we have to have this done tonight. Why? What's the rush? Why did I have to be in my pajamas on CBS Sports HQ last night, two nights in a row, talking about Cole and then Rendon? What is the reason you can't sleep on it? Let it go for a day at two, three Think about whether you want to give the ninth year to Cole or the seventh year to Rendon. But when an owner gets it in his or her mind, sadly it's all him him at the moment, there will be a her one day, hopefully soon. You call and you say to Boris, we want it done tonight. When you're a player agent, those are the words that make you look up in the sky and thank heaven that you are an agent. When you hear a team call you and say, We want to meet, we want to talk, we'd like to get this done tonight. That's it, you can ask for anything. So Boris then just says, well, this is, if you want it done tonight, tonight's going to be $35 a year for seven years. The GM says, I'll have to get back to you. They always say that because then they can use the owner to either come back and negotiate a point or come back and say yes or come back and say no. But the owner always wants to look as though 
He is the person who has the final say. So you say, well, I'll get back to you. We're going to speak to our owner. And when you're out looking to find other teams or other players, you pretend you can't reach your owner even though you have. This is the oldest trick in the book. Let me, let me give you an example. It's a funny story. So we're trying to sign a player, and we have an offer, a take-it-or-leave-it offer on the table. And this was back in the day, take any player we've done it with. You can take it with Pudge back in 2003. You can take it with uh, Jared Salta-Lamakia in 2000, whenever that was, 14 or 15. We have an offer. We want to get it done right then and there. So we'll say to the player, listen, you've got two hours to accept this offer, and that's it. And after that, we are pulling it off the table. The problem with that theory of negotiating is if you're not willing to pull it off the table, then actually you end up with the worst deal. We, we, we use that with a player like Assaulted Lamakia, who we had been told by the owner we had to sign, but told to get it done tonight immediately. We ended up overpaying by a year and 10 or $15 million, in my opinion, simply because we had to get it done at that moment. If you let it breathe, you have an opportunity to get a better deal. When you're making trades with other teams, you do the same thing. We're hearing rumors about what the Dodgers are going to do, how they're going to react to the fact that they didn't get Rendon or Cole or Strasburg. Are they going to go after Corey Kluber, who's a pitcher for the Indians, who was hurt actually at a game in Miami last year? And never came back. Are we going to maybe trade for Lindor? Obviously one of the great shortstops who would replace Corey Seager and would be a huge addition. What are we exactly going to do as the Dodgers? Well, think about it. When you are making a trade and you have a trade in place where you're going to trade Lindor, the Indians are, to the Dodgers and you want back, let's say, their two best prospects. Call them Gavin Lux and Dustin May. That's the rumor right now. So would you do that trade? Well, what the Dodgers are doing is they are taking what Cleveland is demanding and they are then shopping around to see whether or not they can do better for Gavin Lux and Dustin May. And the way they keep Cleveland from trading Lindor to another team is they say to Cleveland, the Dodgers do, I'm trying to reach my owner. I understand you want Lux and May, but I cannot trade Gavin Lux or Dustin May without speaking to my owner. What that really means is Andrew Friedman is on the phone to every other team looking to see what he would have to give up to get a comparable shortstop. Could he give up fewer players than Lux and May, different players? And how big a drop-off would it be from Lindor to that next shortstop? So we always would use the owner as sort of a shield or a sword, depending on whether we were the one doing the signing, trying to make the trade, or actually on the other side, trying to get rid of a big contract. What always fascinates me about the process is that these winter meetings give a false sense of deadline, and people end up very, very confused about why things don't get done. And so owners get very impatient with their GMs, and we always would have meetings with our GMs after every winter meetings. Well, why didn't we get this done? We didn't make any moves. We didn't draft anyone in the Rule 5 draft. Can you imagine asking a GM that? Like, who cares? but you just feel like you're being left behind. And that's where the Dodgers are now. They feel as though they have been left out. It's like we talked about this. Remember FOMO and FOMAD, fear of missing out, the fear of missing out desperately, owners who have that. And so this is the time when it's critical for all owners to stand back 
the winter meetings are over. Ignore all of the pieces about winners, losers. I'm going to do one right now for you, but that's for us. That's for the show. That's for the listener. When you're an owner of a team or a president or a GM, you've got to absolutely ignore these lists. But owners don't. They're watching the queue and they see it. They get told by family members, do you know that Samson had you as a loser on the queue? And it makes them crazy. It makes them then do irrational things. And the only things that are irrational in sports are when you sign players to deals that are over what they actually are worth. So when I talk about who are the winners and losers of this winter meetings, and I've got an interesting list because I'm looking at it a little differently, right? I'm not, to me, I don't necessarily want to win the offseason. I did that. I've tried that. It really doesn't help you win a ring. I'm really looking at it from a standpoint of the entire season. Who has a better opportunity to be a winner over the long term, mid midterm, and short term? But first, I have to tell you my number one winner, and it's hard for me to say this, but I can because this show is called Nothing Personal. And with Scott Boris, it's never been anything personal. It's always been business. I've never liked the way he, he's done business. I don't like the way he operates. However, I am man enough to admit that he is the number one winner of the winter meetings. And the reason he is, is that he found a way to get this stable of players, keep them all the way through free agency, and then get them these contracts. Why is that noteworthy? Because very often agents are poaching players from other agencies. Very often players who are about to get paid will switch agents. Scott Boris is good at this. He knows what poaching is. You're not a winner for poaching, Scott. That makes you a loser. But what you did do is you kept the players and you manipulated the market to perfection. It helps that the Coast teams, New York and both LA's had needs. It helps that the Nationals won the World Series with their 94-year-old owner. All the stars were aligned, but without you pulling the right strings, you would not have gotten the money that you got for those players. You're a winner. Second winner. How do you not call Colin Rendon a winner? When you get $35 million over seven years in Rendon's case, when you get $36 million over nine years in Cole's case, and you manage to have a career year in your walk year, which is the dream of every player, that you have a career year when you're going to be a free agent so you can mistakenly convince people that you have a chance to be that good again, Cole and Rendon will never be as good as they were in 2019. It's impossible. How many Mike Trouts are there? How many Justin Verlanders are there? Is it possible that Colin Rendon for five years, six years, three years? Excuse me. It may be possible, but certainly not for seven and nine. Colin Rendon, you're a winner. My last winner, it's another team I don't like calling a winner because it drives me crazy, but I have to tell you, I've been calling for the Yankees to get starting pitching for a year and a half. Ever since I got to the queue, we talked about the fact when they traded for Stanton, what a great trade to get you into the playoffs. But you need pitching to win in October. Aaron Boone, first two seasons, over 100 games. Record-breaking manager, managerial start for his career. And what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. So they had to get a starter, and they couldn't mess around with the mediocre stuff like Paxton and Hap. No. They needed to go big, and they finally did. Steinbrenner finally allowed them, and I'm not complimenting the Yankees for giving in and going to a ninth year for Cole. 
What I'm complimenting them for is recognizing that they needed top-of-the-line starting pitching. And the fact that they were willing to not worry about year nine, because we're going to be here nine years from now, folks. And we're going to be talking. It's going to be 2029. And Cole's going to be making $36 million. And the Yankee fans are going to be despondent. But now they're not, and I give the Yankees credit. Who are the losers? The biggest loser is me. All right, hold the jokes. Why am I saying I'm the biggest loser? Not having anything to do with the salad I had for lunch. Having to do with the fact that I did not think that teams would give in the way they did until much later in the offseason. I thought that the winter meetings would be an absolute snooze fest. I had no idea that we'd be live breaking news on the queue every month in Gdunishtik because there was a new player who decided to sign. But as it turns out, I was wrong. I'm one of the biggest losers. I put me number one. Number two, the Padres. God, what a mess. Nothing to say about them. Yes, you guys are the biggest losers. You didn't get Strasburg. You have no pitching. You overpaid for Will Myers, Eric Cosmer. You overpaid for Manny Machado. You did get Chris Paddock, but he's... Like liable for a sophomore slump. Maybe he's a number two, but how are you going to make it to the playoffs? Number three, the Dodgers. Andrew Friedman, you got to change your ways. You can no longer run your team like you ran the Tampa Bay Rays. You've got to get out there and make moves because making it to the World Series is not enough. Los Angeles Dodgers, you're a loser. Do you want to talk to Samson? Because I love that segment. You guys are great. You, you tweet at me all the time, at David P. Sampson on Twitter. You find a way, for whatever reason, to give me great topic ideas. So just DM me and say that it's a topic you want to hear, nothing personal. Follow me at David P. Sampson. Thank you for downloading, subscribing. Uh, please rate five stars if you can. It helps, believe it or not. Don't ask me how, because I actually have no clue. I was just told by Debo to say it. So this topic was a good one, and it must have come from either someone locally in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, or someone in New England. But someone wanted me to talk about the fact that Tom Brady might be like LeBron James and take his talents to South Beach. There was a report today, an unsubstantiated report, totally based on not brick and mortar. What's the opposite of brick and mortar? It's like based on twigs and leaves and kindling is that Tom Brady would potentially leave the New England Patriots. Now, why would he want to play for the Dolphins? Why would he want to end his career for a team that has no chance of winning when he's such a winner? Is it because Giselle, his wife, wants to live in Miami? It doesn't matter. They can live anywhere. You have to be in your home city for 16 weeks, and half of that, you're on the road. Could it be that Tom Brady wants to just show the Patriots that he can take a middling franchise like the Dolphins? Is he so delirious and delusional that he thinks he's good enough to come to the Dolphins and help them win? Or maybe he wants to help tutor and mentor the quarterback who the Dolphins apparently will have as their next franchise quarterback. If I'm Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, I don't want any part of Tom Brady. I don't want the sloppy seconds of the New England Patriots. I want someone who I can build my franchise around, and I want to make sure that I am bringing in someone as a quarterback who is not using me to get back at his former team. If Tom Brady ever leaves the Patriots, it will be a divorce due to irreconcilable differences, and it will be ugly. We all know that for his legacy, he should end his career where it started. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. 
Picture an ace in Major League Baseball, the greatest pitcher ever, who hangs on and is a middle-of-the-rotation guy. And then you rip the uniform off him. That's where Tom Brady is about now. He used to be the greatest of all time. Now, he's a mediocre quarterback. That's all he is. So the Patriots have to figure out what to do with him. If I'm Robert Kraft, I pay him. Not like Kobe Bryant got paid to retire with the Lakers and set the Lakers back for four years. Not like Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers, who got that $33 million a year, two-year extension to say thank you, and he's not close to worth it. But you give him a year if he wants it to say goodbye. And then you move on. You put the succession plan in place. You call the Roy family, and you find a succession plan in New England. Robert Kraft, he knows that his legacy is cemented. It's done. He's the biggest winner, the most winning owner in the history of the NFL. He can end this on a positive note. Stephen Ross's legacy is the opposite. He's accomplished nothing on the football field. Absolutely nothing. Tom Brady will not change that. This is a rumor, folks, that has zero chance of happening. What does have a chance of happening, which made me laugh, which I I enjoy laughing because I read all these things and I want to tell them to you who are watching and listening. The NFL made an announcement and uh, they announced that they are going to do, I want to get it right for you, a top-down review of officiating. That was their big announcement. Have you ever been in your office and and, uh, your boss says to you, you know, we're going to do a top-down analysis of whether or not this program works? What that really means is that the people at the top want to find out what the people at the bottom can do better in order to make the people at the top look better. That's what top-down analysis means. The people at the top want the people at the bottom to work harder, perform better, so the people at the top can look better. So in the NFL, they are going to start looking at the replay official in New York, thinking that's the top of the officiating problem. All of the referees right now, the pass interference nightmares, the mistakes that are being made that are the big story of the NFL, the top down means they're not starting with those referees and trying to hire better ones or train them better or show them more tape or have them do more games. Top down means they're going to start with the director of officiating, and see whether or not the issue is replay in New York. Well, that makes no sense to me. I know how to do a top-down analysis of the officiating. Make sure your officials know what the rules are and how to call the plays. They take your lead. In the NBA, there are clear mandates given to officials. If they want offense, if they want defense, if they're looking to increase scoring or decrease scoring, if they want more contact or less contact, The officials are told exactly how to call games. In the NFL, it's the same thing. What's the best way to get a team in the game? It's pass interference on a Hail Mary. First and goal, it's a spot foul. You want to take the officials out of the equation? Make it a 15-yard penalty, not a spot foul. Or tell the public exactly why you are having officials call it so differently. Because you want scores that are 48 to 46. Anyone remember the Niners-Saints game of two weeks ago? I think it was 48-46. Very highly rated. People love it. People love offense. So you make rules that create offense. But the officials have to be let in on the secret. 
And when they are, you cannot have them blamed when mistakes are made or if they're not actually mistakes, we're saying they're mistakes because they're actually following a rule that people and coaches and players wish we didn't have. The big question is, what will the NFL do with this top-down review? You can bet it's not going to be much. <laughs> it's sad for players. This is a uh, something broke today here on December 12th. Uh, NFL players are getting arrested, and they're getting arrested for participating in a health care fraud and scheme. And what, what's troubling about it is you've got players. Here's how it works when you're an athlete. You're in the major leagues. You're in the big leagues. You're in the NFL. You're treated like a king. Everything's done for you. You're making money hand over fist. The reason why athletes, former athletes, become broke is that they're spending the money they're making. They're spending it on things that are called, they're not random expenses. They are not concurring expenses. What that means is they're spending it on things that they can't stop spending them on. If you buy a car for $100,000, that $100,000 is gone. But if you have a chef who you pay $100,000 to, you can make it a non-recurring expense. You can fire the chef and then save that money. But what athletes do is they collect cars, they collect houses, they invest in nightclubs and restaurants and bars. They do all sorts of things that make them poor when they stop earning the money every two weeks that they were. And believe, take it from me, you eventually stop earning the money that you were earning when you're no longer in the sport. So unfortunately, sometimes players cannot adjust to the real world. And so they think that they can break the law because they think as a professional athlete, they're above the law, and they think there's an opportunity for them to make easy money. That's what they'd always call it. That's easy money, man. When they would sign a contract or when they'd hit a home run off a pitch that was right down the middle, right in a tee, that was easy money because they know every home run is easy money. So what happened is you had players who were retired who they said, man, we're short of some easy money. Any thoughts? So there's a program in the NFL named after Gene Upshaw. Obviously, you may know him as a very, very famous player for the Oakland Raiders. Or you may know him as the head of the players union in the NFL. Or likely, like Coca, you've never heard of him at all. Coca, have you ever heard of Gene Upshaw? Gene Upshaw, his response in my left ear was, who? He's never heard of Gene Upshaw. To Gene's relatives, I'm very sorry about that. I thought his legacy would live on. But Gene Upshaw did have something named for him called the NFL Player Health Reimbursement Account Plan. What is a player health reimbursement account plan? You have to know this to understand exactly what the fraud was. If you are a retired player in the NFL and you go to a doctor and the doctor asks you to get a treatment for your bad knees, let's say, and that's not covered by your insurance company, you pay out of pocket. You know the expression, an out-of-pocket expense? Well, that's literal. It means it's out of your pocket. However, once you pay something out of pocket to a doctor, you can then apply to get reimbursed by the Gene Upshaw NFL Player Health Reimbursement Account Plan. So just picture a player who has a bad knee and a bad hip, and they want to get a special bath where they can sit and bathe with candles and stones. They go to the doctor, and the doctor says, your knees are bad, you need to buy this bath. The doctor writes a prescription for the bathtub. The player, insurance doesn't cover it. The player has to buy the bathtub for $40,000. 
The player then sends the piece of paper to the Gene Upshaw account reimbursement plan. And that plan gives that player $40,000 to pay him for the bath. Everyone get that? It's pretty easy. You get a doctor to write you a prescription that's not covered by insurance. You pay out of pocket. You then apply to get reimbursed. Now, how's that breaking the law? It's not. But here's when it is. What if the doctor never actually did prescribe that stone bath? What if you never actually bought that stone bath? What if you then got reimbursed by the reimbursement account plan, the 40 grand, and you never had to spend 40 grand out of pocket to buy a bath? Are you with me? You've got an extra 40 grand. It's easy money. And it's certain handcuffs. As in turn to the right, straight ahead, to the left. It's called the mugshot. It's called prison. What these players were doing were actually defrauding themselves. They were defrauding their own NFL health plan that was designed to help their own fellow players. They would take that 40 grand given to them in reimbursement. They'd pay off the doctor and they'd pay off the player who actually submitted the false claim. And they thought they wouldn't get caught. It's outrageous. They're going to end up in prison and they should end up in prison. That's a fraud. This is not a small fraud. You're talking about a multi-million dollar fraud perpetuated against a healthcare system. And as though no one would notice, the Department of Justice in Kentucky, they there's indictments. This is not a joke for these players. Clinton Portis is indicted. He is accused of a felony. You better lawyer up, Clinton, because you knew very well that they didn't need those stone baths. The movie last night that I watched was, uh, <laughs> I watched Hustlers, all right? I tell you the truth. I told you I was going to watch it. I watched it. I needed to figure out how Jennifer Lopez got nominated for a Golden Globe. I wanted to see Cardi B in a, in a strip club, and I wanted to see Constance Wu from Crazy Rich Asians and how she would work with Jennifer Lopez because I had heard about all the fighting that went on on set. So I'm sitting watching the movie, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for something good, anything Something to happen that makes me tell you to go see it. Because certainly the cinematography is worth watching. <laughs> but that's it. Unless you're interested in that, pass on Hustlers. But Jennifer Lopez is always one of my favorites to watch. Because I'm lucky enough to... Uh, I got a Jennifer Lopez story. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I have time to tell it, but I have to. Wait a minute. It's my show. I just realized... I can tell any story I want, so I will. So Jennifer Lopez was uh, married to Mark Anthony, and I'd met Mark Anthony through in Miami and in and around Miami when I was with the Marlins, and he and I got to know each other and spent time together and still do, and it's fun. He is uh, obviously unbelievably talented, but when he's off stage, he's incredibly fun and incredibly normal, and we'd have a glass of wine, or we'd hang out, we'd talk about business, we would talk about ideas. He loves Miami so much. He was the 305 before Pitbull was and will always be. He cares so much about this community, so much about the Marlins, always wanted to talk about ways that things could get better. He actually is now working with an agency in addition to all of his singing, but that's a whole nother day, a whole nother story. So one day he told me to come to his house and we were having a, a bottle of wine and just talking about work. 
and the minutes turned into hours, and the hours kept building. And he was married to Jennifer Lopez at the time. Jennifer Lopez comes back to where we are hanging out, and she looks at us, and she says, well, when are you guys going to bed? Like, is, it, is, is the night over yet? And we would just sort of laugh, and then we kept going. And that was, I didn't think anything of it. I thought that was it. So cut to the next time I'm over at his house, we're having dinner, and uh, it's, it's with, Jen- and I'm not name dropping, I'm telling you why this is just a funny story. I'm sitting there with Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony and their kids, and everything's fine, and we're having some wine again, and again, sort of the minutes turn into hours, dinner ends, and we go into a separate room, and we're talking about stuff and laughing, and it turns out, I guess, we were being super loud and keeping the kids awake and just not even being inappropriate, just being goofy. She walks into the room and she looks at us and she says, listen, I've had enough of you little boys. Can you get out of here already? Because we're exactly the same size. So it's like she was scolding us as little boys who were misbehaving. And the next time I saw her was at an American Idol taping. And uh, we laughed about it because obviously she remembers that. Because it's not too often you see two five foot five guys. Sorry, Mark. Yeah, you're five five, and it's perfectly fine. He, I think he lists himself at five eight, but I think he's five five. But that's not a well kept secret. But not often do you have little guys who are just having fun. And she was so grumpy about it because she didn't want to join us. I don't know that we wanted her to join us. And obviously they got divorced because of me. No, I'm just kidding. I had nothing to do with it. But she's an awesome woman. Mark Anthony's fun. But in this movie, it's her first nomination. I'm happy for you, Jennifer. I really am. I thought you were way better in Out of Sight, way better in Selena. As far as Hustlers is concerned, it's just not worth it to see. It has done well. People have seen it. If you've missed it, stick with some of my other movies that I've reviewed. Hustlers, it's a solid B-. minus. Well, MLB made an announcement today. I was actually very happy about it. It was an expected announcement, so I want to make sure that I, that I say that. Anytime that, that the union in baseball and the commissioner's office announced something, you would view it as a, a sort of seminal moment, a, an exciting thing that they're getting along. So here's the difference. Uh, not that exciting. They only got along because they both agreed to something that is so obvious that there's really no reason that it didn't exist in the first place. Here's what they announced. MLB and the MLBPA in two separate announcements, of course, because God forbid they ever are together on anything, announced that they are going to start testing for opioids and different types of opioids like fentanyl. Now, why did this all happen? Not because of an actual care about the players and a care about players. They're they're claiming that now. Right now, they released something that says we've changed to test for opioids. We're doing this because we care about the players. Let me ask you guys a question. Did you care before Tyler Skaggs died or after? What was the moment that you said that there's an opioid crisis in the nation and it's impacting our players? Was it when Tyler Skaggs died with his own vomit when we found opioids in his system? Is that when it was? And now you're going to stand up and tell me that you got together because you believe in the health of the players and want to do your part in curing the national crisis of opioids. Give me a break. I've been there. I know exactly what happened. This was a reaction to the death of Tyler Skaggs. Of course you got together. What choice did you have, did the union have, or the commissioner's office to get together and do this deal? 
And part of it now is that you don't get suspended for opioid use. Why should you? It's not a performance-enhancing drug. I've spoken to our team doctors. If you do opioids, you get worse at baseball, not better. We, we don't want you to do opioids. PEDs, I'm in. You want to do PEDs? Don't get caught. You're going to be a better player. Opioids, come on now. You know what happens. Don't pretend you don't. You can't see a ball. What do you aim for the middle ball going 97 miles an hour? So you don't get suspended for it. You get put into treatment, part of a treatment program. Then if you ignore the treatment program or ignore, ignore the protocol set forth by the treating treatment program, then you get disciplined. So no one's going to get suspended. There's no 80 games. There's no three years, three strikes, you're out. It's if you test positive for opioids, you will get monitored, treated. And then the, under the auspices of we care about you and we want to cure you of your addiction to opioids. But at the same time, if you want to get stoned, have at it. Now, that's my kind of drug testing. They don't care about marijuana anymore. It is no longer a drug of abuse as listed in the Joint Treatment Drug Program. The Joint Drug Treatment Program. Why is marijuana no longer a drug of abuse? Because everybody's doing it. I've had players smoking marijuana left, right, and center. Everywhere. And that was before vapes. You could just follow the smell in the hotel. Now with vapes and pens and edibles, you think that when the Rockies, when we go play the Rockies, there's not a line outside the shop? Come on. Who's kidding who? And that doesn't mean that players can't play when they're stoned. They're not playing when they're stoned. They're getting stoned after the games, before flights, during flights. You think Dion Waiters of the Heat is the first player to take an edible on a plane? No. He's the first player not to read the damn label. That's all. So, having marijuana removed as a drug of abuse, it is now exactly like alcohol. And that's exactly where it should be. If you're caught and you're with marijuana, if there's a presum presumption of an issue, we will make available treatment, talking to, but there is no drug of abuse that is called marijuana anymore. Now it's opioids. We've moved on. Opioids, PEDs, fentanyl. Here's my advice to players. If you're going to get addicted to something, get addicted to winning. We won't give you opioids when you have surgery. You, we're going to give you other things to help get rid of the pain. Opioids are not going to help you get paid. They simply will not. If you want to take the chance of taking PEDs and trying to mask the test and pass every test, I don't think you should do it. But if you do, that has a chance to make you better and earn you money. Opioids do not. Marijuana is right in the middle. We, all, we keep beer in the clubhouse. People drink after games. I'm waiting for the day when clubhouses have beer and then alcohol and then joints right in a row. Vape pens, beers, because that is not impacting anything about the game. So what MLB and MLBPA did today, it makes sense to me. The guy who doesn't make sense to me at all, and I get to do two days in a row on Stu Sternberg. Stu, I, you know, we talked about you yesterday and your Tampa Bay, Montreal plan, how you knew that people thought that your plan was brilliant because you spoke to people in baseball and I told you there's not one person in baseball. You keep doubling down and it just smells of desperation. 
you are so desperate to come up with a plan in order to increase the value of your team, and I get it. You've never been willing to roll up your sleeves and get a ballpark done. You've never been willing to become unpopular the way I had to to get a ballpark done in Miami, to give up everything for years on end. No one in your organization has been willing to do it, to take the chance. So then you're just coming up with ideas of relocation or selling to someone who believes they can get it done. But then you went too far today. You actually said, and I have to read this quote because it's, it, it makes no sense to me, but here it is. You know that he has no place to play in 2028. We said that. Remember the mayor of St. Petersburg in previous editions of Nothing Personal? They've got to stay at the Thunderdome, now called Tropicana Field, through 2027 or pay a huge, huge penalty. But in order to start somewhere in 2028, these deals take years, but not eight years. You can get the financing done, get the ballpark built, even with a retractable roof. You're talking about at most 48 months, four years, let's say five. So by 2022, he's got to really have a plan in his mind. So we're still two years away from that. And a lot can happen in two years. But as he's flushing out this whole Montreal plan, because he's got to keep the Bronfman family in Montreal on the hook, that's Stephen Bronfman. Those in Montreal listening, and I know there are a lot of you, uh, he used to be a part owner with, with Jeffrey Loria in the Expos. Uh, and then the Expos moved to Florida. Really, Jeffrey moved you from Montreal to Florida. You didn't want to be an owner in Florida, so you were bought out, and now you own nothing. You did get a World Series ring. Stephen Bronfman won't show it to you, but he has a World Series ring from the Marlins. He never returned it. They hated us so much. They hated me so much, thought that I had ruined the team. And for whatever reason, he kept his World Series ring. I wonder if he'll give it to his kids. Maybe it's just locked away. Hmm. I'll never wait to see that. So Stu Sternberg needs to keep Steve Bronfman, who's now trying to bring baseball back to Montreal, has to keep him on the hook, right? That makes sense because you have to have an option for your team. That's called leverage. So he then said, you know, this is Stu Sternberg talking, quote, we have to be, you know, locked up by 2022 or 2023. He's right. And he said, you know, because of the run-up time, we'll have enough time to prepare people. We're going to make it a little more concrete. And here's where it gets awesome. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it now, he said. That's probably not a bad idea. We'll build a 100-unit building in Montreal to house employees who are only working there for half the year. People can work, and players can probably stay. Those who wanted to live in Montreal. Others who want to live, he said that. Others who want to live by the water can live by the water. So I think we'll work through it. It will not be one of these, okay, we're going tomorrow. I think he was channeling Art Modell. Remember when the moving vans pulled up in the middle of the night and the team just poof vanished? And the whole fan base thought that he actually moved in the middle of the night? Like he just thought of it and then moved? Of course things don't happen overnight. Of course you have to prepare your staff. Of course you have to have all contingencies in place. Stu, are you telling me that you're going to do a real estate transaction in Montreal and you think players are going to live in a 100-unit building that you're going to build for them in Montreal? Have you been to Montreal? What water are you talking about? The river? You're going to build a place right on the river? Right downtown? Or maybe on the way to La Stade Olympique? Maybe near the amusement park? Maybe you'll go the other direction. 
I'm not so sure you know exactly what you mean at all. And so my view of you is to stick to baseball, stick to finance. No real estate plays in Montreal. It's unrealistic, and you lose every sense and bit of credibility. Pick of the day. Oh, God. We won again. Did you guys watch the Knicks game? I told you not to, but I told you the Knicks would cover. They actually won the game in overtime over the Warriors. We're watching Thursday Night Football today, and I've got to watch the Jets and the best player in football is playing. And that's Sam Darnold, who's the best quarterback playing tonight. And there's an opportunity for him. I have no idea why Darnold is getting 16 and a half points from It looks like it says here they're playing the Ravens. I don't know who their quarterback is, but he may be good. He may not be. But if 16 and a half points from the best quarterback on the field tonight, Sam Darnold, are you kidding me? Take the 16 and a half points. We're going to win again. My wait to see. Coca, do you think there's a chance that people think that I don't know who Lamar Jackson is? Like, were you thinking, like, is, is, is someone in the booth just say, does he know who Lamar Jackson is? It did happen just now. I'm shocked by that. So, obviously, Lamar, give me a break. If you're listening to this and you did not know that I knew that Sam Darnold is not the best quarterback on the field tonight, come on, man. Wait to see. Los Angeles Angels, they get an incomplete in my winter meetings grades. They weren't a loser. They weren't a winner. They're incomplete. What do they do? Rendon, they got to do more. They need pitching. Here's my wait to see. The Angels will sign, guaranteed, one of Baumgartner, Ryu, Keiko, but that's not it. We're going for the double wait to see. Not only will they sign one of them, they're going to trade for another starter as well. They are at least two starters away, at least from being in contention. Mark my words, folks. If Andrew Heaney starts game one or game two of the 2020 season, Mike Trout will be on the couch next to you come October. But don't worry, Andrew. That's just business. It's nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 